the collective consciousness of, of where we're at is is we require rock bottom moments in order to change. Yeah. Like we require very vast and, and rich contrast to pull us out of the patterns that we're in because we can't see the forest through the trees. And then we have a choice. It's like, it's, it's, this, it's this soulful moment of um, uh, near death experience. My physical body's there. My spirit's up here. I can see things. I've got a choice. I can either get back in the body and make some big changes or I can just continue to do the same shit that I've always done. Welcome back. We are so honored today to have Stefano Safandos with us, who is a teacher of uh, recovery, relationships, couples counseling, childhood trauma, you name it, he can help you. He is an incredible wealth of knowledge, and we really are truly honored that you're here today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I very much appreciate you having me. Thank <laughs> yes, you. when you said you would show up, I was like, Really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's coming. All right. So, and here you don't even, you don't even live here in California, and you nope. still showed up. So, yep. we really are grateful. Thank you for taking the time to be here with us. Likewise, thank you. Yeah, he's someone that I can actually say I am a fan. I'm an Instagram fan of. So, <laughs> so we are really grateful to have him here today and to share all of his knowledge and all the things you've learned and taught people over the years. That maybe in an hour we can get a nutshell version of that for our listeners and ourselves. I should get a notepad and take notes myself. Yeah. No, but that's what your Instagram's for, so, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, okay, so how did you get into uh, this line of work? What made you, what inspired you to get into this, and um, how long have you been doing it? So I've been in this space for about 23 years. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm 41, started when I was 18, but, you know, obviously meeting people where I was at, right? right? Like I wasn't necessarily working with... Uh, mothers or fathers that were in their 40s or 50s or anything like that. I didn't have that life experience, but I would meet people where they were at. And I always had a, an aptitude and a, and a desire to really help people and and just be in, in the, you know, to be in the presence of people that wanted support and that were seeking answers because I was a seeker myself, asking a lot of questions growing up. I think the people like us that are in that space, we, we're all seekers ourselves. And so, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, for sure. That and that, that seeking part of me coupled with you know, the part that was seeking for intimacy and connection and seeking for people that could relate to what I had been through, which was a lot of violence and a lot of volatility and a lot of pain and a lot of disconnection growing up. So I, I was seeking that. And I thought, well, what better way to, to find that than by actually supporting people on their journey, yeah. right? Which is, there's some truth to that, but at the same time, it's it's for me at least, it was very much vested in, in ignorance because my thought was, well, if I can help others and I'm helping myself, but I was never actually doing my work, right? So it wasn't until I, I deliberately started doing my inner explorative work that things really started to change in my life. So not only internally did I feel different, the external manifestation of how I was feeling internally started to change as well. In other words, I started to attract healthier relationships. I, I wasn't in, the, in these cycles of burn and build where I'd make a lot of money and then not have money for months. Like this, this uh, what's it called? It's like a, a drought and then Famine this- Famine and drought. That, yeah, and, and then this influx of all, all, this, all this wealth, all this abundance, and I don't know what to do with it. I was just, feast or famine. Feast that's or famine, what it is. that's the one, yeah. <laughs> I was just so right. disconnected from that. And that's really what got me into this and what kept me going Wasn't was- Wasn't there a point where you just hit like- you hit the ground, like, you know, what's it Rock called? Bottom. Rock bottom. Yeah, and yeah. then you're just like, I'm you tired of wall. living this way. I'm tired of doing this. Isn't that usually that moment? Did you have a moment like that? I did. I had, did. Se I had several. You had several. Yeah. I don't think it was ever one moment. I, I think it was one moment that became the ultimate catalyst that, that when I say ultimate catalyst, the catalyst that made that deeper change. But yeah. there were many rock bottom moments along the oh, way. Okay. 
And for me, it was in relationship where the woman that I was with discovered that I was cheating in that in that relationship, and it really brought a it brought a lot of my trauma up that I hadn't been looking at, and it brought up a lot of shame as well. And and in those moments, I realised that I, I I genuinely cannot keep living this double and triple life. I can't keep living in the shadows. It was just very challenging to go back to. I couldn't unsee what I saw, and that's where really m my deeper work began. Yeah, and you come from such a place of empathy when you've been through what you've mm. been through, and I believe you can. Not that other people can't help people, you know, but when you've really been there and someone really feels that from you, there's this exchange of energy that, without even saying it, I'm like, he he understands, he gets it. Mm -hmm. I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel understood. And sometimes you don't even need to say that, but I can tell, like, even when I listen to you, I can tell you feel it, you've been there. And when someone feels that empathy, it, it can be life-changing, so. Yeah. Well, I hear you and I agree with you. I think relatability does three things for us. It breeds trust, it breeds non-judgment, and it breeds compassion. Yeah, you come off, you, you genuinely come off when I listen to you with a lot of compassion and non-judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and because I've done things in my own life and I've seen things and I've been part of things in my own life that, I mean all things being equal, I really don't have any right to judge right. anyone. And, you know, truth be told, just owning my, my shadows and own, uh, owning the part of my personality that is judgmental, I grew up with that. I grew up with consistent and constant judgment from my father particularly and from my mother as well, not only towards me but towards themselves and towards each other. And so judgment is this big beast, this big rock that I've had to move. And I still I, I still battle with it sometimes, well, like the self-judgment right. that then – automatically turns into let me judge others. Not on purpose, but to keep myself safe or to keep myself emotionally safe, right? To keep myself at a distance, to position myself in a, in a in a place of control so I feel safe and I don't feel like I'm going to lose myself or lose control. And so, you know, those things still come up, but they just don't come up in the way that they used to. Yeah, in that's any maturity. Capacity. That's growth, that's growth right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, you said that you hit rock bottom multiple times and there's <clears throat> this thing you know with unhealthy relationships and the patterns they go through and they you know seem to turn into a pattern right so it happens over and over again and people are like oh they'll never change they can never change you're kind of proof that you can change I've actually heard you on different podcasts saying that you think narcissists can actually change mm. and it's kind of just common thought everyone says they can't and, and Lindy and I have talked about this on other podcasts that we've had too about that whole that whole idea that they, they can't change and then they're just doomed forever. And it's really, I mean, it's total awareness, right? If you're ready to, if you're ready to really change and you're going to, you're ready to be really honest with yourself. I mean, not calling you a narcissist, but just saying if, if you hit rock bottom so many times and you saw your, yourself in that pattern and you got yourself out of it, I mean, that's kind of what a lot of, what goes through with a lot of narcissism, right? Can do. Let me, let me clarify. It's a great point that you make. Let me let me clarify a couple of things. Or let me clarify my position. I should say. So yeah, I didn't mean to put the two together. No, no, no. But it just reminded me of something you had said. But your position, but yeah. your assessment of what I said isn't wrong. Okay. I, I believe that actually. There's just some conditions to that. So yeah. a clinical diagnosis of any personality disorder um, is a big thing. Right. It, re it really is a big thing. And NPD is a really big thing. And cluster, yeah, cluster B personalities. You've got histrionic sure. and borderline and narcissism. Sure. And typically narcissists 
can't self-reflect, which is where growth comes. Correct. So Correct. Take, take it from there. Yes, yes no, and, per- and perfectly said. Thank you for No, I don't have to say that. You just said it for me, which is great. But here's, here's the sort of next step to that. So my, I guess my, you call it a theory, but not, it's not just a theory, but my, my observation in certain people. Because some people, they, they, they physiologically and they don't, and, and psychologically and relationally don't have the capacity to self-reflect or to be in deeper empathy, right? No, they shut that down as a child, typically from trauma. Correct. And they went into a fantasy world. It, it literally, for some of them, is almost impossible. Almost impossible. Almost being operative word. And for, for some, it is impossible. Mm-hmm. In, in, for whatever exactly. reason. Yeah, and maybe it's their sole curriculum this lifetime that they're not, they're not meant to experience that. They're not meant to move out of that. Maybe they literally can't develop new neural nets in their brain. Maybe they can't access that part of them and never will be able to. I just believe, and what I've seen is that once we start healing that trauma that's caused, that largely has caused and has been responsible for that adaptation, that maladaptive adaptation, and we can call it narcissism if we need to label it, once we start really softening that, dealing with that, closing that trauma loop, things can shift. Now, does that narcissist completely shift out of narcissism? Potentially not. But there's a spectrum. Correct. There is. Even, even and, the name, and the word is, I mean, it's overused too, but we're talking massively about people. Massively overused. We're talking really, about somebody who really, who really You're talking about someone that has NPD. <clears throat> yeah. someone, that, someone that has NPD and that has been clinically diagnosed in that way from potentially multiple um, therapists or practitioners – it's difficult to come back from. Really difficult. Yeah. I want to ask you this too. But I, I one think more, sorry, you, one you more thing finish. on that. You got to finish thing. talking yeah. about. Yeah, that I would like him to say though where you have seen someone. Yeah. I would like. I would love to hear an yeah. example or story. Because I feel or, like that's the big dance that everyone what, does. Or waiting for them to get better. Because I, there's every narcissist out there has someone that loves them and cares about them. So that, if that there is any hope. Yeah. I agree, yeah. but I want to see if there is any hope and if you can and give us that. Um, and we're, well, we also need to draw the line and, and walk away because it causes us a lot of pain. But where is there some kind of hope? Where have you seen some kind of reform or change? So healthy, you just touched on something that's really important. So healthy boundaries is really, really important for the healing process, not only of the person that either carries high narcissistic traits. It's huge for the other person. But also huge for the other person. But if we're just speaking to the quote-unquote narcissist for a moment, it's actually very healing for them. Now, the reason being is because when we set those boundaries, we're, we're providing information of how to be more socially acceptable, more socially adequate in a particular environment. We're saying, hey, this is what I need. And if that happens enough times, the narcissist may be more self-reflective or they just may depending on how deep they are on that spectrum, they may just adapt and manipulate. And mm-hmm. it may appear that... And that is and something they do. Yeah. That's, that's often the issue, right? Yeah. So where, to answer your question, to honour your question, I seldom see that. Yeah. So I, I seldom see a, a narcissist become fully reformed, right? Yeah. Um, now, someone that may have high traits of narcissism or that... that has has been in in a trauma response for a very long time and then is able to shift that trauma response and able to apply healing to that trauma response usually through healthy relationship usually through the active seeking of um, therapy coaching support uh, counseling whatever it may be they can shift their behaviors they can tap into deeper levels of empathy there's cognitive empathy correct well there's correct and 
Yes, and they can they can deeply relate. Sorry, not deeply. They can deeper relate to deeper, others. Deeper like, relate to yeah. others. Right? <laughs> they, they can make efforts that they haven't been able to make before. However, the argument then is, is well, well, where really were they on that spectrum if they're able to do that? Right, because yeah. technically if they're far deep into it, right. they've shut that part of their brain off at a young age and, and it's so hard for them well, to come back from. It's so age. sad. I just, you know, a it lot of times we wonder where they come from, right? Like wh- how, how are they created? And a lot of times it's from a rough childhood, but what if they have a wonderful childhood and like great parents and really solid home life and the other brothers and sisters in the family is great, are great, and then this this child has, you know, something going on with them. Like they grow up with this I mean, and can't have good relationships. <laughs> You've seen a lot of that happen, like with a really like loving, supportive background, and and it and it might not be. I don't know. It might not be narcissism. It might just be having trouble being in relationships. I think it's it a little bit of its probability as well. So if you if you genuinely grow up in a loving household and a supportive environment and you're, you, uh, you learn to regulate your nervous system and you're shown how to regulate your nervous system and you're shown examples of healthy relationship, the chances are that you will grow up a more regulated person as an individual and in a, in a social setting. Are there, are there times where someone genuinely grows up in a healthy environment and develops a, a psychological affliction or they have a psychological issue or they struggle to be in society? Absolutely. Is that potentially an epigenetic predisposition or genetic disposition? Possibly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is a combination of, you know, there are, there are certain innate aspects of self that we're born with and that are either stimulated or not stimulated by our environment. Sometimes what appears to be a really healthy environment actually isn't and what appears to be a healthy environment isn't interpreted that way by that child. So you're talking about childhood afflictions, right? We're talking about... So much of who we are is developed during our formative years from the ages of, say, you know, being in the zero, being in the womb to seven or ten years old. Let's call it ten years old. And so much of our development, our self-worth, the way we learn to give and receive love, what we deem to be safe and unsafe, our value sets, all of that is forged and formed in during our upbringing. Because and of theta, what, right? Part, partly, yes. Yeah. So we're walking around in this hypnagogic state. So we're absorbing it. And we're also very self-referential, which means if I witness something – I make it mean that I'm responsible for it. It's my fault. I've got mm-hmm. to do with it. So if I see mum and dad fighting, for example, that's my fault, mm-hmm. right? And if that happens enough times and we make it mean something specifically about ourselves, not only are we developing, again, the neural nets or the, the neural pathways that enforce um, that ideology of self and that, that level of self-worth, it also becomes our norm. And so there's a lot of complexity in so many variables to this, this whole conversation of, of personality disorders, narcissism, um, being healthy in relationship, not being healthy in relationship, even again, coming back to how we interpret particular events, irrespective. See, trauma is not about, it's less about the event and the experience and more how we, sorry, it's less about the event and more about how we experience the event, right? right? Like that, yeah. which, de- which determines whether it's traumatic for us or not. And again, trauma resides on a spectrum too. And then we'll develop and cultivate a coping strategy or a set of coping strategies right. that deal with that pain. That's so, where a lot of addictions and things come in because of coping, right? In part because we feel so disconnected. We feel helpless and hopeless. We feel mm-hmm. unsafe. So we forge it, it, the, the root of most addictions are, are, are forged in the sense of I'm disconnected. I'm not seen. I'm not heard. I'm not loved. I'm not understood. I'm not accepted. I'm not respected. It's sad. It's very sad. <laughs> it makes me sad. They're just sad. little innocent children that – Correct. Are left in, you know, some unhealthy 
adults' hands, and it's sad that all these things um, that we experience, yeah, so. I was speaking to a friend of mine um, a couple of days ago, and we were talking about, last night actually, and we were talking about parents, you know, it should be mandatory for parents before they want to conceive or have children to go through some form of psychometric testing or so, something, Something's right? Great. I think that would be great. And I said, yeah, yeah our, our, our leaders of government and, and large corporations probably should as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least we know what we're dealing <laughs> with, right? On that, yes. <laughs> we would very much agree with you on that. Yeah, um, yeah the world would be a different place, that's for sure. <clears throat> I actually believe um, some of our the people that run some of our world inflict trauma and um, on a national scale or global scale on purpose to traumatize the nation as a whole and create broken people. I do. So, but that's a whole nother podcast. There's definitely another podcast. <laughs> so that's a whole nother podcast. Savannah's like, we I can invite you on. We're not yeah. going to get political here. <laughs> no, I don't mind getting political. No, but that's that's just, just a rabbit a, hole. That is. Yeah. That's a whole lot yeah. of it. It's just a whole nother rabbit yeah, I like yeah. rabbit holes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, I find them interesting. But, um, yeah, so... Um, personality disorder is there a tough one to break from but and you've seen you haven't seen a lot of oh yeah uh, what are you seeing the most right now because you work with yeah. a lot of couples and you know the yeah what's we're the kind biggest of like the dating thing. world is it's crazy right now there's so much trauma in relationships yeah, i feel like dating more than apps ever and trauma and people being just yeah what tell us what so what's many the, people what's are the most popular trying to get it right what you are know? you seeing the most of well, if we just we'll tie a bow on personality disorders. So, firstly, the, the spectrum of personality disorders that exist are generally pretty rare in our society, right? Um, one could argue I haven't looked at the statistics on this, but they're, they're probably increasing. But also, our, our populace is increasing as well, right? Uh, but what I'm seeing in in dating and intimacy and relationships and <clears throat> is a couple of things. So, whew, firstly, more and more, just from a male perspective, more and more men. Uh, at least they think they're happier mm. being alone. Okay. And they're reverting to the convenience of pornography and masturbation. Yeah. And they're shying away from intimacy. So there's this... this it's so easy with all these Pornhub and whatnot, and even Instagram. I see stuff that's basically pornographic Soft on porn. Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, I think it used to be... Just didn't used to be as accessible. I remember um, being younger, and I think that... I correct me if I'm wrong because I don't really go check out porn myself, but I think I saw in movies that you would have to go. She's insinuating that we do that. I, 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 no, I'm not. I know. I know. <laughs> yes, Lizzie and Stone. Please tell me. Because we're, we're the experts here. Exactly. Right. Brandon, jump in Sorry. on this as well. Brandon, Brandon's the expert on this. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just get my phone, man. It should be on speed there. I think I saw it on, on movies I'm or TV teasing, show. Teasing. I know you are, but it did kind of come off like that, so I apologize. <laughs> I think it did. I'm sorry. But I mean, like I saw on movies or TV shows, they would have to go into like, because you would see the kids sneak in or something, right? Not so anymore. they would have to go into like, kind of like a blockbuster and a whole another section that was just yeah. for oh, porn yeah. and then check it out. You're right. If I'm, if I'm not yeah. wrong, because I know you've experienced, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. So, yes, I remember that as well. And that would be like, and then they'd probably have to go put it in some kind of VHS machine yep. right in That's a secret so room so now. now they're just got it on their phone or a tablet or a computer it's literally seconds away so and there's so much damage done um with men and well and women watching it there's oh, actually yeah. more women watching porn now than there ever used to be as far as i know now too yeah. so yeah yeah our dopaminogenic pathways are getting fried uh where yeah. we're instant losing gratification instant gratification we're losing touch with 
what's really important to us. We're losing touch with learning how to communicate with other people and read other people. And I don't mean read other people to manipulate them, although there are very few that want to do that deliberately, but read other people to understand other people and connect. And so there's so much more disconnection. And because of that, when people do choose to get together because they either think it's a socially accepted thing to do or because they genuinely want to be with someone, mm -hmm. they don't know how to be with someone. Right. And they have this false idea of what sex is mm -hmm. because they've watched so much pornography, which right. is acting. It's right? acting. I'm not yeah. saying that that doesn't – I've watched a lot of porn in my life. And I'm not saying that what happens in porn doesn't happen in quote-unquote real life, right. but it's not the norm. Right. It's not the standard. It's not what needs to happen. It's not what needs to be happening all the time or should be happening all the time. It's not sustainable to be happening in that way. Right. And so men particularly, but not just men, they have this false expectation of how it needs to be. And then here's what happens. It doesn't work out that way. They feel rejected. The woman maybe doesn't orgasm or she's not as into him as possible. And he's like thinking, well, I'll just go to porn. Yeah. It's instant gratification. It's on all levels, by the way. It's no rejection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can choose whatever right. woman I want, right. so to speak, right? at least in their minds. And most men are very visual as well. Mm -hmm. It's easy. I'm not spending any money. Right. I'm not putting any effort in. This is the part in the, the, the society that we live in is a society of, of ex excess convenience, which doesn't cultivate resilience. Right. And resilience is one of our greatest attributes as human beings. I'm so concerned for the next generation Definitely. because yeah. the next generation is going to propel us as a humanity forward. And if they're not a little bit more fucking resilient, we're going to have mm -hmm. issues. Yeah. Right? Definitely. So there's, this, there's, this, there's these issues that are stacking upon each other. And then, of course, <clears throat> you've got women. Just Forget about men and women for a second. You've just got people that are, are lacking an ability to be vulnerable. So they can't be vulnerable. And if you can't be vulnerable and you can't be honest, you can't trust someone. And you can't have connection. 100%. And you can't have connection. 100%. Yeah. And if I can't trust you, I don't yeah. want to be near you. Mm -hmm. And we can't collaborate. We can't co-create. We can't innovate. We can't make love. We can't create love. We can't create family. Mm -hmm. We can't create lasting memories and friendship. And we feel isolated. And isolation and aloneness is an epidemic in our society and it is killing us slowly whether people are committing suicide because of it yeah. or they're hiding their talents and their gifts from the world. And, and, and I think that through even, a, even in a deeper way, right, I think the, the lost opportunity for connection and the lost opportunity for creation because the way I see intimacy in relationship, I see, I see it this way. Whatever relationship I'm in, am I adding value to that person's life? Are they adding value to my life? Are we adding value to each other's lives? And is our relationship, whether it's romantic, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a, a business-based relationship, doesn't matter. Are we adding value to the people around us? Because mm -hmm. if we're not, I, don't, I just don't want to be in that relationship. If our relationship is not adding value to the people around us, whether it's our immediate friends and family, our community, the world, whatever it may be, I, 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 need, to, I need to rejig that relationship to, make it, to, to, to help it, to support it, be more impactful. More, to, to carry greater substance yeah. and if we can't be vulnerable with each other and we're scared of each other and we, we lack trust for each other we can't be put, you can't be in it to win it you can't be put in that in that paradigm or that space to actually be in a relationship like that mm -hmm. and that's that's one of my biggest concerns is that we're we're devolving as a humanity because not to go and be right. tangent, I'll pause after this. Yeah. We're devolving. Because I think relationships help us evolve. Yeah. And I think relationships... We're, con we're wired as human beings. We're relational beings. We are relational beings. We are wired for connection and relationship. So if we're not, then we're obviously going to be depressed, sad, not feel purpose, and 
devolve. <laughs> yeah, and we're hiding. We're hiding from ourselves and we're hiding from the world because ultimately relationships are beautiful mirrors. Why are, why are oh, I love it. The mirror thing is one yeah. of the things I love. We'll talk about that too. Um, why do you think that we're all hiding? Shame? A part, well, there's a couple of things. So part of it, firstly, unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. Right, and we're we're not we're not taught how to deal with our trauma. And we're no, not taught I wasn't how to deal taught until no. just a few years ago. Yeah. honestly. Yeah, uh, and you're and you're lucky or you're blessed that you actually have got right. to that point. Well, I told you before we started, I had you know reason to to really force mm. myself into it because yeah. there was no way, I, there was no way else out of the ditch I was in other than mm. to face my trauma. So, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's why I, I said I'm well. even even though I was in a very a place that was very hurtful and I went through a lot with it. I'm grateful for being put into that, that ditch where I had no other way out than to really, I clung to God and, and resolving my trauma mm. and it made me who I am now. So, mm. so if we could just put everyone in a ditch in the world <laughs> and they can all face their trauma, we'd have a better place. <laughs> well, I think you touched on something really interesting there when you say that, I think that the collective consciousness of, of where we're at is, is we require rock bottom moments in order to yeah. change. Like we require yeah. very vast and, and rich contrast to yeah. pull us out of the patterns that we're in because we can't see the forest through the trees. And then we have a choice. It's like it's, it's, this, it's this soulful moment of um, uh, near-death experience. Uh, my physical body's there. My spirit's up here. I can see things. I've got a choice. I can either get back in the body and make some big changes mm-hmm. or I can just continue to do the same shit that I've always done. For me, humor is actually part of the healing process yeah. because it, it helps us tap into lightness and sometimes this, the trauma is heavy mm-hmm. and, and we need to be in our lightness and um, it actually helps us move and shift shame as well, especially if you're, you're genuinely in a, in a space where you, you're feeling right. seen. You know, it's important. Oh, good. No wonder I love to laugh. I know. I love to laugh too. I just, you know, I just want, I want to see people do better and, and and live better lives and healthier and make better choices. You know, it's kind of why we started people, this you know podcast. I mean? So and, and I'm not talking, I mean, you know, it's like when you're, when you're around someone who you, you see is just literally struggling and they love you so much and you're just, you really want to help, but you know, someone has to really decide to make that decision to fix themselves. But you have to be really honest because a lot of times we're like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like there's nothing wrong with me, but clearly there is because you can't have a stable relationship and there's relationship problems and patterns with other people in the life also. So, I mean, the people that are in that kind of a place and they're doing that dance and they really want to get out of that and they're, and they're with someone that they, that they deeply love who's causing problems basically. And how, where, do, where does it start? I mean, you either, you either get out or, you know, so many of us, we hang on, right, and try to, well, he'll get better or, or she'll get better. We'll fix it, we'll, you know, together. And that's a hard dance to do. Um, and I feel like that is what I see so much with friends of mine and people I know that it's always like we'll either get better or walk away, but then it happens again and again and again. So, like, what is, like, what do you have to say for that? Because I know that you've seen that kind of pattern happen in relationships and with people. And it's at some point, the I mean, it's it's both people have to take responsibility because mm. one of them is codependent, putting up with it, and then the other one is 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 causing harm. But I mean, at some point, they're both miserable, and either this is going to be repeated again, or people are going to get better. And I think sometimes people can do it together, not all the time. And I think sometimes people have to, you know, go on their own 
on their own uh, path to, you know, healing and everything. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, about think, the I patterns. And then when it, I think when I heard, when I listened to you, you know, maybe talk a little bit about these patterns that we all get caught up in. But then also, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. How do you know at what point in that pattern is it time to walk away? Mm. And what time? where do you know when it can get fixed or better? And when do you know when to walk away? Mm. So the second question, the question you just asked then, is a little more challenging to respond to. But I agree, but, yeah. Yeah, but no, we'll explore it though. It's still worth exploring. That's why, that's why we give it to you. Okay. <laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, so you touched on something. You use the word codependence, right? And so the interesting thing is, is that both people are codependent mm. in the scenario that you described. Right. And not only are both people codependent, both people are actually living from very low self-worth, but it's presenting in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so often a narcissist or someone with, with, with strong narcissistic tendencies is going to attract an empath, a highly sensitive person or a highly sensitive empath. And often that highly sensitive empath, not always, but they'll, they'll hold a very strong victim mentality. And so when, whenever we're in relationship, we, we can look at relationship through the lens of a drama triangle. Right? And the drama triangle is the, the victim, the villain, and the savior, okay? Mm -hmm. Or the victim, the villain, and the hero. Yeah, I had to learn all about that victim triangle. Yeah. It was interesting. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And drama I could triangle, look at, victim triangle. Uh -huh, yeah. And I could look at, at things in my life and go, oh, um, you know, victim, mm -hmm. vic you know. The, the light whole, bulb goes off. Yeah, I saw that triangle now. I see it a lot now. So that was yeah. an interesting find to learn about. Yeah. yeah. Well, the villain or the perpetrator needs a victim, and the victim needs a villain or a perpetrator and then mm -hmm. of course there needs to be a hero there somewhere and sometimes you can be all three to yourself as mm -hmm. well but in the scenario that you described you know both people ultimately let's just focus on low self-worth for a moment that is is often quote-unquote trauma induced or in, in, induced from a, a set of experiences that have demoralized that individual and as a result of that so i'll give you an example in my own life right so in my own life i learned to play the victim very, very easily and very strongly, A, because I saw that in my mother in many respects and and I saw her villainize my father and he, he wanted to be the villain so he took that role on and he needed a victim, he needed victims in order to, to ensure that he was in that power play right? because he felt out of control in his life and so he felt in control by being the quote-unquote villain or the perpetrator. But I learned that if I could be a victim then I would get hit less or I would experience potentially less abuse. Right? So it's a mathematical probability for me, for most of us. We're making these equations. So if I play the victim, then the chances are that I'll get hit less or I won't get hit as much or I won't get screamed at or I'll be ignored or whatever it may be, right? And again, until I broke that, those patterns, I was staying in that low self-worth. The reason why I'm in that victim position is because I don't think I'm that valuable enough. I'm inadequate. I'm insecure. I'm unworthy to receive love. I'm unworthy to give love. I'm unworthy to just be alive. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. How we deal with it is different for everyone. But if we look at the example that you gave, that, that person with strong narcissistic tendencies is going to seek control in the form of domination. The other person, that's the empath, because th that narcissist needs the empath. That narcissist, that narcissist needs someone to feed off. And that, and that empath needs someone to constantly give to and fix and save and so right. forth, yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that, Such a cycle. That, that victim also it becomes is. a savior too. And then this brutal cycle. So until they recognize that, until they really put themselves in positions where they can actually heal that original trauma, right, these cycles will continue. Let me give you an example of what that position looks like, though. It, it's really surrounding yourself with people that see you, that are compassionate, that are non-judgmental, but they will also challenge you in healthy ways. And what that means is that they're not—they're going to set healthy boundaries. They're going to 
talk to you and, and show you in, in, in kindness, of course, when you're behaving in ways that are unhealthy for you. And sometimes we can't, it's not about fixing people because we're not, ultimately we're not broken. We just have a perception of, of being broken right. or a perception of brokenness. But ultimately, it's not our job to fix anyone else. And sometimes the best thing that we can do for someone is walk away. It's the best thing that we can do for ourselves. And it's really difficult because you're losing uh, that fuel source. The narcissist is losing their fuel source. You're, using, you're losing your fuel source. Mm -hmm. And your fuel source for, you know, vitality. And people are also addicted to, um, you know, for lack of a better term, fight fuck. They're addicted to that. Mm -hmm. They're addicted to let's fight at great intensity because contrast really matters, right? So mm -hmm. let's fight at great intensity because we're going to repair at great intensity. So the pleasure is going to mm -hmm. feel really intense. Yeah. But so is the pain. But we need the pain for the pleasure. We need the pleasure for the pain. And so we have to be able to notice these cycles and we do that by having really healthy relationships in our lives that meet us with compassion, that meet us with non-judgment. It's very simple stuff. It's just not easy to do. Right. And it's not right. easy to receive. And the consistency of that is really, really important as well. And so finding people that are genuinely not attached to, um, or I should say, a genuinely not conditional in the love that they're giving. Me meaning that they're not there to take advantage of you with their compassion, they're just genuinely giving you compassion because that's who they want to be in the world. Mm, okay. Very good, that was well said. Was. I'm probably gonna have to go listen to that myself a couple of times. <laughs> 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 I was thinking of your second question, though. I forgot what it yeah, was. Yeah, so it's and, – and I agree with you. This is a tough question, and I've been asked it before, so mm. that's why I'm asking you. I'm just kidding. Yeah, pass the buck. <laughs> um, um, when – how is it – It's when is it time to walk away from that pattern? Mm. That's right. Yeah. And how do you know? And how do you know when the person just isn't going to get better? Yeah. Well, and obviously it's us, too. It's not – one or the other person, mm. you're both in that cycle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah two things. I think uh, the first is is get an external perspective to your own, right? So you have to be mature enough and self-aware enough to say, hey, I need another perspective here. Hey, friend, what are you seeing in this relationship that I'm in? And be honest with me. And then you want, you want your friends to be honest, right? Number two, you want to be mature enough and healthy enough to be really clear on what your boundaries are and what you won't tolerate. And then you've got to be confident enough and courageous enough and loving enough for yourself and for the other and for the relationship to then say, hey, these are my requests and these are my needs. Can you meet them? Mm. And that individual may say yes, but then if they don't, you have to have that conversation again. And ultimately it's up to you how long you're going to tolerate that for. And is that is are those agreements and those boundaries that you're setting are non-negotiable? Mm. If they say no, I'm not meeting those agreements, I'm not meeting those requests that you're asking, then you have a choice to make. You can either say, well, the rest of the relationship is great and I'll stay and I'll be a glutton for punishment, or it's actually not that bad, or whatever your logic right. is, or you walk away. But again, all of this requires some level of courage and self-awareness. Mm -hmm. All of this requires surrounding yourself with new perspectives and people that really that you can trust and that you do respect and that you do revere and people that can really see you for who you are and can give you compassion in your life that is not attached to the trauma bond that you're in. Right. And it's hard to find sometimes. Like even I, it is. you know, I have friends that I want to lovingly say, I, you know, I don't know if this is best for you, but it's hard. I want to be nice and I just want everyone to be happy. But it's really not love I've learned is <laughs> love sometimes. Yeah. Like love really sometimes is letting someone know that the it's truth, not what's about yeah. the truth. The what, truth you, what you see. Being honest with someone is love. Yeah. Is loving them. Some people can't receive that. But and it, they, see, I think it's yeah. knowing your audience. That's part of it, right. sure. And 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 also 
you know, really knowing your own fears around speaking your truth yeah, and what that is for too. you as well. And and also, and I hear you on the, it's difficult to find friends like that. And, and so that's why very specific groups exist as well, whether it's Alcoholic Anonymous or some other kind of support group that can give you that perspective, that can give you that help. But you have to have the initiative and the wisdom. You have to have mm-hmm. enough wisdom, right? Embodied wisdom. In other words, enough, just enough self, enough is the key word, enough self-care, enough self-worth mm-hmm. to take a step that is, you know, 45 degrees out from where you normally right. stand and sit and make it make a different decision. Yeah, that's why Alcoholics Anonymous actually coined the term codependency and created a group of self-help for um, loved ones of alcoholics because they saw that yeah. the disease was just as much over on the other mm. side. Mm. So it's so true. Yes, um, it's like soldiers in war. It's just, the soldiers aren't the only ones that suffer. Yeah. The families it's suffer as well. Ones. This is the relationality of life. Uh-huh, right. right. We're, all, we're all interconnected. Right. In There's way, a right. reason we're all drawn to one another. And um, But um, so for someone who struggles as a highly sensitive person with or some codependency or people-pleasing, um, I have a feeling boundaries is going to come up. But are there some tips or advice you could give someone who's struggling that is in maybe a toxic cycle that does think it's time to get out? But they're, they're struggling. It's hard and it takes courage and wisdom, like you said. Um, do you have any tips for someone trying to embody that and develop that? Yeah, well, often it's never – It's never. I don't, I don't want to say never as an absolute term, but it's n- not really going to get easier, right? So if you are an individual that's really clear that you're in an unhealthy relationship and you're clear that you want to leave, ripping off the Band-Aid is probably the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. Caveat, though. If you're in if you're in an unsafe, a physically unsafe environment, yeah. and you're in a dangerous environment, you have to be more tactful and strategic, and that can look like so many different ways. It may look like going to a, a refuge or a shelter. It may look like getting police involved. It may look like having a physical intervention with others. It may look like if there's kids involved, it's even more complex. There are so many. I'm I'm definitely not insensitive to. It's not as easy as, oh, you don't want to be with that person? Fucking leave. No, yeah. it's not as easy as never that. Easy. And it often is not that easy. That's right. It's not as simple as that, especially when you're in a, 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 a trauma bond and a pattern where your, your self-worth is constantly being smashed and bombarded and you're constantly being shown or told that you're not enough. Because a lot of these dynamics where there's a, 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 an unhealthy dominant power play we're not talking about consensual dominance in an in a intimate sexual sense. We're talking about dominance of control and power, coercion, oppression, etc. They want you to feel like shit, right? Because that's how they're going to keep you in in that. That's what feeds them as well, and that's the that's the pathology of of um, psychological illnesses such as these. And maybe illnesses isn't the right term. Maybe conditions is a better term, I should say. But the, these are these are some of the the affliction points of this. And so, you you just every individual situation is different. And yeah, healthy boundaries is absolutely part of that. And let's be real for a moment. If you've spent seven years in a relationship and you've never once exerted a healthy boundary or a boundary and, and all of a all sudden, of sudden you're, you're putting all these yeah. fucking boundaries up yeah, and you're the great. boundary king or queen, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to be received very well because no. A, people don't like change. B, people don't like to be disempowered, that crave power. And C, that shock is going to usually cause them to be reactive, which is going to make them bigger in their energy than they usually are, which is more than likely going to put you in a place of cowardice even more. So you, you have to be yeah. very strategic with how this is done. It's, there's a lot to consider. It's, yeah, it's I don't really mean to overwhelm people. 
and I, and I hope that I'm not saying, hey, there's no way through. There absolutely is. I really do believe seeking support where you can build your courage up. It's like, you know, you take supplements to build your immune system up, surround yourself with people that really see you and have a skill set to support you where they can build your courage up and then you'll have greater clarity and spaciousness to make decisions and be more consistent with the boundaries you set and, and wiser with how you set those boundaries and how you remove yourself from that situation if it's not as easy as a rip the Band-Aid off situation. Right. Yeah, it's hard. So when I hear you say that, it's it's daunting because I myself have been there and it is so hard, um, which makes me think and want to say that for anyone listening, what I've learned now is the best thing you can do then is to understand some of the signs so that you mm. leave before right. you get in having kids with them, your finances tied to them, living together with them, having a trauma bond with them. So um, there are signs that we can look for to you know get away before it gets to that. And what would be some of your top red flag signs to walk away from if you see a toxic partner? I mean, it's such a broad term though, toxic partner, right? So I think firstly, knowing yourself, knowing your values, uh, being committed to your own self-work, I think is really important. Being committed to your own your own growth journey and really, and you know, really loving who you are so that you know if someone comes into your space that's invading your personal space, not respecting your boundaries, not respecting what you're saying and sharing, um, not listening, not hearing you, if you know what you want in a relationship and you know who you are in a relationship, what's often going to happen is you're going to be able to recognize those red flags. And so maybe what I'm really saying is spend some time by yourself. Mm. Don't date. Don't be addicted to the honeymoon period of dating. Don't don't be uh, addicted to the codependency or the quote-unquote needing of someone. Spend some time by yourself mm. as an individual to get to know yourself from that vantage point. Yeah. And, and, and build courage and confidence and self-understanding and awareness from that place. And then when you enter a relationship, you're really clear on what you want, you're really clear on what you'll tolerate and will not tolerate, and you're super, super clear on what you're a hell yes to and super, super clear on what you're a hell no to. So for me, it's in the like prevention. the hell yeses and the hell yeah. no's. Yeah, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Now, what about if it's just a, what if you're in a relationship and I feel like a lot of relationships, I mean, just in general, relationships are tough. I mean, every, I, mean I see be. people with marriages and they struggle in their marriages and then long-term relationships, it gets to a point and then it just gets hard and one person wants to run. Or what if you're just in a relationship like that and you, and you just like, or you hit just like a really hard patch? So many people, I think, would rather jump ship than go through it. I mean, I feel like that's what really kind of really can strengthen a relationship and bring it to the next level. Is it, do you see, do you think that going through like a really tough time together as like a couple, like with a partner, or if it's really, you know, because sometimes it can almost be toxic going through really rough times. I don't know if I sound like I'm, I'm talking in circles, but I, no, I know no. what I'm talking about. You make okay. sense. Okay. I know what you're so like, I I know what you're okay. So like when it gets like, you know, really tangled up and stuff and it's mm. just easier to leave. You know what I mean? But then, but you could tough it out in a relationship because I think there's a big difference and people get confused. It's like, okay, is this, is it a toxic relationship or are you guys going through really hard stuff? Yeah. You know and what I mean? make it or break it, right? Yeah, and there's some, there's a lot of hard stuff out there. I mean, it's not sure. easy navigating a lot of things in the world right now. Yeah. So, you know, some people try to go through it and then some people start living separate lives mm. within a relationship. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways people cope with that. Mm. But it's, 
you either get through it or you just, you know, stay in a tangled mess. Yeah. If the relationship is bringing out the worst in you consistently and you're in a place of waking up every morning and not wanting to be in a relationship, more than likely it's an unhealthy, unsustainable relationship. You call it toxic, whatever you want to call it, right? It's just not for you. The thing that most people do is they leave relationship too early. Now, what do I mean by that? How do I define that? I mean that they haven't grown in the relationship and they're taking their baggage and they're taking the same issues that they found in that relationship into the next one because they're not choosing to actively and deliberately face the issues that are coming up in that relationship and they're running away from them. By either staying in the relationship and distracting themselves, like spending more time with friends, getting more into their hobbies, not because they love the stuff they do, but because they just want to avoid their partner and they want to avoid the drama, but they are addicted to staying in the relationship for whatever reason Mm -hmm. or reasons. Instead of sitting down with their partner and saying, hey, this isn't working for us and this isn't working for me. And if you have a willing partner, if you have two willing people that are saying, you know what, I think you're right. This isn't working for me either. And I can also see how I'm really contributing to this. I want to work on this. Now, this is a mature situation. I'm not, yes. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is super common. However, we all, not all, most of us, the vast majority of us have the capacity to actually have these types of conversations. Yeah. And so when we sit down with each other, sitting down is an example, you can stand, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but when yeah. we, sit, we sit down with each other and we have these deeper conversations and we start embodying this work and we're doing our individual work, but we're doing couples work as well together. And after a period of time, we can reassess and say, well, have things changed? Has our dynamic changed? Have we shifted? Uh, do I feel that, that I'm a better person because of this deep inner mm-hmm. work that we're doing? Have I, what have I learned? How have I grown? And we can have these, the, you know, the, almost this, this self-inquiry and this self-assessment that happens periodically along the way in our relationship as we're actively attempting to make changes. If we're not noticing any difference and things are getting worse and we can own that, then maybe it's not time to be together. Or, or maybe you make a choice, you know what, let's give this another three months and evaluate or another month and evaluate. And you can evaluate along the way. And I'm not trying to be linear and masculine with this because there's a lot of feeling that's involved. There's, there's a lot of emotions that are, that are exchanged. There is a lot of us in our feeling body and tapping into deeper vulnerability and being very soulful with ourselves and very real and vulnerable with ourselves and with others. But I think we leave relationship ultimately too early. Again, that's defined by just not actually growing in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's jumping ship. It's Absolutely, jumping ship it is. When yeah, get tough. Absolutely, and and, I, and you know, you asked something or you touched on something earlier around intimacy and challenge. I'll share this with you. I've done a lot of work with um, the military and special operations guys. S- some of the deepest friendships and bonds. We'll call them bonds as opposed to friendships because they're that, but they're bonds. They're deeper than friendships. The deepest bonds are forged through the challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. That is not that is that is not that is by design. The military industrial not the industrial complex, but the military complex because the military industrial complex is a different beast. But the military complex understands that from a strategic war perspective. Yeah. Let's get men together. They're obviously going to go through challenge because you're certainly facing death when you're in the battlefield. And they're going to bond. And when that intimacy is forged and bond, they're there for each other in ways that you can't orchestrate any other way. So when we face that, when we face challenges in intimacy, it either makes us, it fucking makes us or it breaks us. So we, at some level, not completely, but we, largely though, we have a choice. And we have a choice to allow it to make us, but we have to be very deliberate with that. And we have to be cognizant of it. We have to be aware of it. And we have to be willing to want to do that as well. And emotionally mature. Because I myself have have looked back and gone, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been like, yeah, you suck. You know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I should have been like, take a deep breath and kind of spell it out like you just did. You know, how is this, 
how are we both contributing mm. to this or mm. how can we be better? But, you know, sometimes when you get heated and you're in the moment and you're emotionally, it, emotional maturity is something that I've also learned about that I'm trying to grow in and it's huge and not a lot of people are emotionally mature. Oh. It it's important to it pause. It takes a lot of work. And after yeah. you've been the traumatized, pause. it's real mm. easy for the flight. Yeah. To it's really it's easy triggered. for the reactivity. It's to real easy to take off. Like, yeah. Like, right. oh, I, I don't like this. Uh, this doesn't feel good. I, I don't want this anymore, so I'm out. Yeah. yeah. Because, because yeah. but that's an indication of one's trauma not being, yes. you know, made whole or healed. Yes. Right. And, and so we're, we're living from that reactive trauma as opposed to living from a healed place where we can pause and say, oh, that was then, this is now, this is actually different. It's similar because it reminds me of that that was then, but let right. me be different. And the emotions kind of come back up really quickly. And, and that's where, you know, the, the you know we're, we're talking about Viktor Frankl, right, okay. of the, the between stimulus and response, and there's freedom in between stimulus and response, and we get to choose. So we've received the stimulus. It can either remind us of what we experience and we can react from that place, or it can remind us of what we experience and we can pause for a moment and be different, which ultimately changes the course of our direction and our path, but also of our partners. So every time... In, our, in my own relationship with Christine, if I am not reactive or she is not reactive, right? I, well, let me actually just give you a real example. But you don't have a per, I mean, nobody has a perfect relationship. So no. you guys have gone through no, no. Some tough times uh, too, right? The, I mean, la yeah, the last, you know, my baby girl's 21 months. The last 21 months have been quite challenging for us. Yeah, when there's us. a new baby for yeah, sure. Yeah, for, for sure. It's been, it's been very challenging for us in, in all these new ways that, right. that weren't there. everything. Massively, but the other night I give you an example. Little baby girl was running around and she gets excited and she she tripped and she hit her head and this was oh. right before bed. I'm like, oh my god! And everyone's oh, tired. Man, I just I, I have a thing. My baby girl hurts herself. I'm just yeah. I'm the worst. Anyway, and so <laughs> then, then then she she hit her head. And then it's bath time. Then she's a little poo in the bath. So now she's out of the bath. She's sitting on the potty. And I'm cleaning the bath. And, and I've just got this, Christine calls it this look on my face like I hate my life look. <laughs> and it's not because my baby girl's an inconvenience. It's no. more because I'm concerned that she have a concussion. Yeah. Like she's about to go to sleep now. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about all these things that are out of my control. And so how I usually get in control is I get angry. And so I'm doing my best to not be angry because I'm not angry at anyone. I'm not angry at Christine. I'm not angry at Athena. I'm not even angry at myself, maybe a little bit because of how I'm feeling. I'm feeling tense. But I'm just a little jittery and nervous. And then she's, then she's on the bed and she's having milkies and she's on the bed and then she's near, near the edge of the bed and I go to grab her because she was jumping and she slipped. And, yeah. and, and, and I made a big noise and <laughs> Athena's looking at me like, what did you just do? Why did you grab me? She doesn't realise that I, you know, I think I saved her, but yeah. I probably didn't. But anyway, and Christine, instead of getting frustrated at me, she started laughing. Oh, okay. And genuinely laughing. And yeah. she not only released all of that energy that she was feeling, the tension as well, okay. but it helped me to laugh. Right. And that was a healing moment, a very subtle healing moment for us because in the past it would just be tension that is built and unresolved. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's like we haven't, we, it's not an argument or a fight. It's not, we haven't done anything wrong or we haven't behaved in a particular way that is, you know, towards each other. It's just more like this. But that general frustration compounds and stacks. Yeah. And her laughing broke a pattern. And then me responding to that, laughing, she broke like, a pattern. I know you stuff. I know what he's thinking. I know yeah. that look on his face. Yeah. I know yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. And she's like, just laughs. Just fuck it. Just Let me kind just of like break it. Yeah. That's broke everyone yeah. down. And, and, and that's, that's the opportunity. Different. Yes, yeah. correct. Respond yeah. differently. Correct. And that's, that's the opportunity we have in relationship to, to help not that's only really yeah, mend old patterns or change old patterns, but also 
you know, pr provide and, and, and apply some healing in the present moment. So when you smile yeah. and laugh, you literally send chemicals to your brain. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I'm going to laugh every time I fight with someone now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Start laughing. It, Make sure you laugh at them, though. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But it does, it kind of disarms people. Yes, can do, yeah, yeah. for sure. And that's what it, that's what it, what it helped with. And again, you know, takes two to tango, so both people have to come to the party. Well, right. You could have you could have gotten angry and said, "Why are you laughing?" Correct. Correct. I'm. And in the past, I have. I have. And past. you're laughing like yeah. you could. Yeah. So it took that maturity on your end, and you guys know each other well enough to know you. You, without saying anything, kind of knew that she was laughing, not at you, but just kind of at the oh, situation. Oh, for sure. For and sure. You knew, so yeah, yeah. I know. I didn't feel it for a moment. She was laughing at me. It was more no. just the whole because we both just felt it. You just were feeling yeah. it, yeah. and you're like, let's just laugh. Yeah. There's nothing else. We can laugh or we can fight. Yeah. And yeah. And so. I, I just don't want to, uh, you don't want to fight with those that you love and care about. No, yeah. you don't. So we have like five more minutes. Is there anything that we want to make sure that we get in the last five minutes? Why don't you, I feel you speak so much on um, the masculine and feminine. So if we have a few minutes, why don't, so a lot of people, I think that's a newer thing I, I've learned about in the last few years too, that we all have both in us and why don't you, I'll let you kind of, I feel you're a little bit of an expert on that. So maybe you could share um, with our listeners a little bit about that continuum that we mm. experience in relationships. Yes, yeah, a nice way to put it, continuum. Uh, you, you, you touched on this part already, which is these energetics reside within all of us. I'm of the belief that um, in this physical realm, at least, there is there is a dual nature to our existence. And so paradoxically, in order to come back into oneness or a sense of wholeness, we move into duality. To, and, and this is a very specific kind of philosophy or ethos, right? And I, I study a lot of Advaita Vedanta, which is essentially non-dualistic, right? But, but at the same time, it, it can help to be dualistic. There can be rich learning through contrast. Sorry. Yeah, rich learning through contrast that takes place. So when we're talking about masculine and feminine energies, we're just talking about ways of being in the world, right, and ways of doing in the world, literally. So masculine doing, masculine go, masculine active, feminine being, feminine flowing, uh, feminine receptivity, um, masculine giving, uh, feminine um, passivity. So femininity and masculinity, it's, it's less about it's it's less about it being exclusive to genders or biological sex. So, and 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 more about these energies residing within all of us. And right? how does it affect relationships? So, what underpins that for me, and I take a little bit of a different approach to this, is deal with your your inner child trauma. Deal deal with your trauma. Deal with the the inner child that lives within you, or the inner children that live within you, the parts of your psyche that orient in the world in a very particular way. And masculine-feminine polarity or attraction dynamics or sexual attraction dynamics dynamics become more accessible in a more uh, organic way, in a healthier way, essentially. Because if we don't, we if we don't heal those parts of us that are wounded or hurt, what often happens, unfortunately, is that that masculine-feminine polarity or that seeking of um, sex to really ultimately what's underneath that is to be seen and to be in intimacy and to be 
to be loved and, 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 all, and so forth becomes a compensation. And if it's a compensation, it becomes unhealthy. So an example of that is promiscuity. An example of that is hookup culture. An example of that is drinking and drugs with sex. An example of that is giving our bodies away. Is, is men and women as well saying yes when we really mean no. I'm um, doing things that we don't necessarily want to do, like sexual acts that we don't want to do, whatever it may be, right? But when we feel more connected to the core of who we are, that dance becomes cleaner. And then now we can start talking about, you know, true masculine feminine polarity and, and being led and leading and whether it's it's sexually, whether it's intimately, well, intimately in different expressions, whether it's relationally, whether it's familiarly, whether it's what, culturally, whatever, right? And so it, it's for me, I, I want to address all of that first before we get into the actual polarity of things and, and healthy attraction dynamics. Right. Yeah. Because – yeah. yeah. I was going to say, which is a combination of biology and psychology. Yeah. Right. Okay, so um, really quick, though, there was something I wanted to go back to, if you could, for a minute. I love the mirroring aspect and how oh, yeah, relationships are really a mirror a lot of times that we need to hold up to ourselves because we can blame other people as much as we want, mm. but they're a mirror. So if you could take a minute to kind yes. of go over that. Mm. So I really pull a lot from Harville Hendricks here, and Harville Hendricks has written many books, but one is Getting the Love You Find and Keeping the Love You Find. And essentially, and I'll paraphrase here, our, our primary caregiver relationships, uh, or our adult relationships rather, adult intimate relationships, particularly romantic partnerships, are really reflections of our primary caregiver relationships, of what we did and did not receive both consciously and unconsciously. And so understanding that and really, really knowing that, it helps us see how our partners can sometimes mirror aspects of ourselves that need healing or that need help, right, or that need change. They show us. They show us, yeah. But because yeah. it aggravates us and we yeah. become reactive, we don't see it. And this is where the emotional maturity comes in. This is where doing our inner work comes in. This is where being very clear with our agreements and being dedicated to each other and to the relationship comes in. Being very deliberate as to why you're in a relationship. You're in a relationship just because society says. You're in a relationship because you genuinely want to be there. You know, like really understanding yourself in that in that way is very important. Yeah, so important to take a look at ourselves yeah. too, and not just blame, blame, mm. blame. No, everybody plays a role in it. That's mm. for sure. Mm. All right. Well, we are so happy that you came here today, Stefanos. It's so it's so good to actually like meet you and see you in person. Mm. And we've had some phone. Um, we've done some work over the phone uh, a couple of years ago, but it's just so nice that you're here and you're just so much knowledge. And you'll have to come back so we can so we can talk more about. Some I know. Things, I'm right? sure we can talk to you for hours too. longer. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. And so, so safe travels home. And yes. where can everybody like, find yeah, you? Yeah, where can everyone find you? Yes, thanks. Uh, uh, at Stefanos Safandos on, on most of my social media handles. Uh, if you want to work with me in a one-on-one -on -one capacity, coachwithsteph.com and my website is uh, stefanosafandos.com. And one more, if you want to be part of my community uh, and, and get involved in what I'm with and what I'm doing, and I'll, I'll give you guys this link, but um, asraya.io. It's a little bit more difficult to spell, but I will give <laughs> well, the link. Yeah. <laughs> We'll dial it in. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for taking Thank the time you. to be with us today and sharing yeah. everything with us and Thank our you. followers. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. And safe travels back to Austin. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And we invite you back to move to California anytime. <laughs> <laughs>